I want to invite you to turn to Revelation chapter 2. We're going to be diving in literally to verses 1 through 7. But as you turn there, I want to welcome you back to this series that we started last week with Father Tyler preaching uh, on the seven churches that are found here in the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation opens with the remarkable vision given to John of the exalted Christ walking in the midst of the lampstands. And he has commissioned the Apostle John to to write in a letter the things that he hears, and not just the things that he hears, but the things that he, he sees. And he is to send it to the seven churches of Asia Minor. These seven churches were written to real congregations. You need to know that this morning. These, these letters are written to real people, like you and me, real churches. And this morning we begin with the message to the church of Ephesus. Perhaps first, uh, uh, just a brief history lesson, just so you can become more familiar with the church there in Ephesus. The New Testament gives us, gives us a great deal of knowledge about the church there. It was planted by Paul in Acts chapter 19 as he stayed there for three years preaching every day in the hall of Tyrannus. He had such an impact, his preaching had such an impact, in fact, that riots broke out because of the growth of the church that was threatening pagan worship. There's also hints that we can glean from the letter to, from Paul to, to the Ephesian church. For the most part, the reputation of the church was good, it was healthy, it was growing. But at some point, Paul finds it necessary to send Timothy to pastor the congregations there at Ephesus. And his letters to Timothy, written toward the end of his life, reveal real concern for the church that's there. False teachers had begun to creep in. There was this pressing need among them for faithful leadership. And that brings us here to Revelation 2. by which there is still, as we'll see this morning, much to be commended about the church. But the situation has become spiritually precarious. Because you'll notice in verse 4 that this is a church that has what? They've abandoned, they've lost their first love. Their zeal for Christ has grown cold. And Christ now is sounding the alarm. And so the task before us this morning is to ask ourselves, right at the outset, with judgment day honesty, as we sit under the word together, has this begun to happen to us? Have we lost our first love? Are we coasting. Are you coasting? Going to church? Yes. Volunteer on a regular basis? Yes. Involved in ministry? Yes. But your first love, 
has grown cold. That essentially is the warning of this passage. This morning, you can be doing, doing, and doing. You can be involved, involved, involved. But yet, all the while, lose your first love. It's possible. That's the warning. (laughs) You can look really good on the outside, but you've lost your first love. And if that is our condition this morning, then we also need to ask another question, don't we? We need to know with urgency, can the old flame of loving each other as we ought in Christ and loving Jesus Christ preeminently in our lives be rekindled? Can we rekindle this? How do we get this first love back? And I think all of you would agree that objective self-evaluation is actually quite hard to do. (laughs) Our egos tend to get in the way of objectivity, don't they? And that's why these letters are so helpful. Because who is it that stands judging? It's Jesus himself. It's Jesus who stands to give us perfect and objective assessment of just how brightly our lights are shining this morning. And so notice in Jesus' assessment of the church, at Ephesus in particular, three facets. First, he commends the works that they have done. Then he chastises the love that they lost And finally, we'll see the charge that he encourages. So first, Jesus commends the works done. Notice there are things here for which the Ephesians are commended. First thing that you see in verse 2 is they are persevering. They're a persevering church. I know your works, Jesus says, your toil, your patient endurance. The word toil really means trouble. Jesus is saying, I know your troubles. I know your troubles. I know you are enduring patiently. You're bearing up for my name's sake, and you've not grown weary. This church was born into opposition. This is not an easy place to follow Jesus. And Jesus says, you have faced persecution well with determination, with with grit, with courage. You have patiently endured And not only have they persevered, but they have loved sound doctrine. They are a church who loves the Word of God, sound doctrine. Verse 2 again, you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and what? Are not. You bear with those who are evil. You've tested those who call themselves apostles and are not and found them to be false. Or verse 6, yet this you have, you have hate the work of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate, this heretical sect seducing God's people to participate in idolatry and sexual immorality, but not God's people at the church at Ephesus. They were not swayed by every wind of doctrine. They have not been tossed They had not been blown. They were a sound church. They were a biblical church. Not a bad report card, right, from exalted Christ 
And what an encouragement it must have been to the Ephesian Christians to hear that Jesus saw and acknowledged it all. I know, he said to them, I know, I know, I know. Some of you have quietly served and rarely are given any kind of recognition for it. Some of you are content to pray and work away in the background, and no one knows and no one sees what you do. There's no acknowledgement, and you probably wouldn't have it any other way. But isn't it good to hear the one who walks among the lampstands says to you, nonetheless, I know. I know what you did. I saw what you did. Your unacknowledged visits, your unseen giving, the meal that you brought to that widow, the quiet word of encouragement to a struggling brother or sister, your faithful prayers over years and years and years for a desperate situation. No one else sees it. No one else knows it. But I know. Jesus says, I know. There's not a drop of sweat spent in Christ's service that he does not see, prize, and celebrate. Know that this morning. There's not a tear shed in his cause that he's not cherished and value. I know. He says to us, I know. Secondly, Jesus chastises the love lost. He commends the works done, but he chastises the love lost. Look at verse 4. But this I have against you, that you have abandoned the love that you had at first. By all appearances, this was a great church. Ministry is happening, proven track record. And yet we learn here, don't we, that it is possible It's possible to shine with exemplary traits and still be a church in the throes of backsliding nevertheless. The flickering flame of zeal for Christ and his glory was beginning to grow dim. They had abandoned the love they had at first. Christ is searching their hearts, and he's searching ours, and he's saying this morning, you need to hear this, orthodoxy is not enough. Hard work is not enough. Indeed, it is all too easy just to be preoccupied with Christian service that we can turn away from Christ himself. So listen to these words. What we do for the Lord is important. But even more so, it is why we do it. It's why. We need passion as well as purity. Love as well as work. I think it is interesting that the term love is used more than 20 times in the book of Ephesians. You would think that the Holy Spirit 
knew what their weakness was going to be. And so here are a set of questions for us to maybe ask ourselves this morning to help us come to grips with losing our first love. Has Christ become less of a desire? Has Christ become less of a desire for you? Is there a loss of confidence or trust in Christ? This one got me really well. Do you feel it a duty rather than a privilege in spiritual exercises? Reading the Word of God, praying in your closet. Duty or privilege? Has Christ become less glorious to the eye and precious to the heart? Has your love for Christ's people started to decay? Do you share the gospel with those that you know? If any of these are true, you may have lost your first love. And so, the million-dollar question this morning, right, is what can we do? What can be done? Is there any way to rekindle the flame of our love for Jesus Christ now that it's burned so low? Jesus commends the works done. Jesus chastises the love lost. And now we'll see the charge that he entrusts. Verse 5 is key. If you miss verse 5, you miss the application of this text. You'll be left wondering, how do I do this? So please hear the final charge of this message. Verse 5 is the key because Jesus gives a threefold path to spiritual renewal for a church and for our lives. Three things remember, repent, and return. Remember, repent, and return. That's what we need to do if our flame is not to burn out completely. Step one, remember. Remember. Don't you remember how it was when you were alive with the joy of knowing Jesus? Being with his people. Longing for Sunday. So that you would be under the preaching of the word and the fellowship of the saints. And just to take his name on your lips. Do you remember? Remember that longing you had for it? What a high point it was for your week. You remember those moments of spiritual power when the presence of Christ was palpable in the preaching of the word of God and his praising of his name and worship or in your secret times alone with him as he dealt with you as you opened your bible and he began you begin to cry out to him and he put his finger as the word of god leapt from the page he put his finger on your heart and he dealt with you in grace you remember when he was sweet and when he was satisfying and other pleasures just couldn't compete. You remember? Do you remember? 
Step two, remember, then repent. The word means change direction. It's not, don't misunderstand what repent means. It's not an emotional word, although emotion, emotions always accompany, right? True repentance. There ought to be sorrow for sin, but Jesus isn't calling us here to a feeling. What is he doing? He's calling you to action. He's saying, stop and turn around. Do it now before it's too late. Before I take your lampstand away from you, your light, stop, repent, turn around. Remember, repent, and then third step, verse 5, we'll close with this. Do the works you did it first. Return. Return. It's not a complicated command, is it? Do the works you did it first. Go back. Return to your first love. Use all the means that God will give you and has given you to get close and to stay close to Christ. Give up your neglect of reading the Word of God daily. Be more under the preaching of the Word of God. Make secret prayer a priority in your life. But I think it's this one that I really want us to hear. Remember Mary and Martha? Mary is doing what? She's busy in the kitchen. Mary's, Mary was, was a doer. Right? She's doing, 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 doing. And, and what's Martha doing? Or what's Mary? Mary, sorry. <laughs> Trip smiling. Like, yes. So Martha, kitchen, Mary at the feet of Jesus, right? Martha's doing, doing, doing. Mary is at the feet of Jesus. And what is she doing? She's worshiping. She's sitting at his feet. Sit at the Savior's feet to listen to him teach you. Listen to him teach you. Remember, repent, and return. Let's pray together. Father, 